you're seeking biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney, husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher. Join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is Biblical Counseling Today. It's good to be back with you for season five of this podcast. We've made our way through some typical individual, marital, parenting, and teenage problems over the past four seasons. Now we'll move forward to some more challenging and thorny issues on all of those fronts. To be clear, most of the problems we face personally in this life are difficult. Let's just say that the ones I've chosen to cover in this season can just be a bit more complicated. Yet that doesn't mean they can't be addressed and solved biblically. So in no particular order, I've decided to begin with a disorder known today as Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, ADHD for short. A problem that has undergone several name changes, only being called ADHD since the late 1980s. I'll address the history of this diagnosis in detail later on. To put it in context of my own history, I began working as a biblical counselor in 1990. That means ADHD diagnoses were fairly new at that time, but quickly multiplying. Typically, I would have a parent come to me after a parent-teacher meeting at school. The elementary school teacher was often the first diagnostician, telling the anxious parents that their disruptive child needed to be put on Ritalin for his hyperactivity and inattention. So the first question for me was often, do I really need to put my child on medication? Often this included the realities that the school was mandating it or their pediatrician was highly recommending it. Some parents already acquiesced while others resisted. Some saw good results with the medication, others not so much. Since I couldn't and still can't prescribe medication, I've always made it a practice of not recommending or telling parents not to put their child on a psychiatric medication. We would go over the pros and cons, but ultimately that was their decision within their relationship with their medical doctor. As a biblical counselor, I certainly have my thoughts and views on medication for ADHD, which I will share later on in the podcast. But my focus is always on how to solve this disorder using solid biblical and practical principles of parenting, as well as always trying to get to the heart of the issue. One other thing I remember from my early days with ADHD, how many parents looked me in the face and told me that unless I had a child of my own with ADHD, there was simply no way I could understand how hard i.e. how impossible it was to deal with this issue. Now at the time, I probably took great personal offense at that critique. But over the years, I can better understand how frustrating this disorder can be, both for the child as well as the parent and others in the child's orbit. That's what puts it first on the list of the more difficult problems. So let's dig down deep into the heart of the matter known today as ADHD and see biblical truth that would lead us to some helpful solutions that glorify God and sanctify us. (music) 
So not to assume we all know what ADHD is, let's list the basic criteria that the psychological world uses to diagnose someone as struggling with ADHD. The challenge here is that ADHD looks different in children than in adults, and even boys can have different behaviors than girls. Yet this problem does have three main categories of symptoms, inattention, hyperactivity, and impulsivity. Well, let's look at how each category manifests. First, inattention. It can manifest by procrastination, not finishing tasks, or moving from one uncompleted activity to another. Disorganization or lack of focus is a second one. Third, hard time paying attention to details. Fourth, trouble staying on topic while talking. And fifth, easily distracted by things that are ignored by others. Then there are the qualities of hyperactivity. Some of those are, first, fidgety and squirming when seated. Getting up frequently to walk or run around. Running or climbing a lot when it's not appropriate. Trouble playing quietly or doing quiet hobbies. And then finally, talking excessively, always on the go. And then third, there are the impulsivity aspects of ADHD. Extreme impatience. Having a hard time waiting to talk or react. Having a hard time waiting for their turn. Blurting out answers and frequently interrupting others. And finally, starting conversations at inappropriate times. Again, there are other variables that must be considered to truly be labeled as having ADHD, including what is age appropriate, degrees of difficulty, etc. There's no doubt that this problem is overdiagnosed, especially in America, yet that doesn't mean that children, teens, and even adults struggle with this particular problem. Now, before jumping into practical biblical principles, it may be helpful to us to briefly go through the history of ADHD to give it some important context. It hasn't necessarily been a recent problem in our culture, yet there are current environmental and societal factors that may have led to its rapid increase. So here we go. Long before the label ADHD was applied, researchers and theorists have written about symptoms such as a Sir Alexander Crichton in 1798, and in children's stories like Fidgety Phil by Heinrich Hoffmann in 1844. Yet many historians just go back to 1902, when a British pediatrician named Frederick Still described behaviorally disturbed children in a lecture that were, quote, easily distractible, inattentive, and unable to focus for long, unquote. He noted the symptoms were more common in boys. Then in 1922, Alfred Treadgold, a British expert on mental impairment, asserted that these ADHD symptoms emerged from brain damage rather than just bad behavior. This was confirmed by another researcher in 1923. Then in 1937, Dr. Charles Bradley, a psychiatrist at a home for children with emotional problems, gave the fairly new drug Benzedrine, a stimulant, to children with severe headaches. The drug had the unexpected side effects of improving academic performance 
and decreasing disruptive ADHD-type behavior. Then we go to 1952, which is the year of the first edition of the DSM, the Psychiatric Bible. Well, in that Psychiatric Bible, the DSM, there was a condition called Minimal Brain Dysfunction, MBD, which included ADHD symptoms, especially hyperactivity. There was still the assumption that ADHD, now named MBD, was caused by some sort of brain damage. Then another name change in 1957, MBD became named Hyperkinetic Impulse Disorder. And in that same year, a new stimulant drug called Ritalin is first mentioned as a possible treatment. Ritalin was officially FDA approved in 1961. And then fast forward to the years of 1970 to 1975, there became a growing concern about children being regular users of stimulant drugs like Ritalin. Other theories about the origin of ADHD symptoms started to arise, such as diet. More researchers became convinced that Ritalin was harmful and ADHD was really not a brain disease. Then, 1978, a researcher at the National Institute of Mental Health debunked the theory that just because a child responded positively to Ritalin meant automatically that he or she had ADHD. Similar effects were actually found in children with or without ADHD symptoms. Then we have the year 1980. The third edition of the DSM was published with new labels of ADD with hyperactivity, and ADD without hyperactivity. By the 1987 revised edition, it officially became once and for all ADHD. Well, then in the 1990s, as we mentioned, diagnoses of ADHD began to quickly and greatly increase. So the question became, do more children have this disorder? Or has a change of awareness led to the uptick? By 1991, prescriptions for childhood stimulants such as Ritalin reached 5.3 million a year. Then we go forward to 2001 where the American Academy of Pediatrics recommended a combination of both stimulant medications and behavior therapy as the best course of action to alleviate the symptoms of ADHD. Later in that same decade, several non-stimulant medications came onto the market. And then finally, in 2013, the DSM-5 is published with language that ADHD can present as mild or moderate or all the way to severe. All right, if you could actually follow that brief run-through of ADHD history, what does it tell us? Well, I think we can draw a few important conclusions. First, even though the scientific community has never proven ADHD as caused by brain damage or even brain dysfunction, the majority view remains that ADHD is a physiological brain-based problem. Second, medication remains the first line of treatment for ADHD, even with the dangers and side effects of stimulants in the bodies of children. Non-stimulant medications may be better, but do they really bring change? Third, Even the medical world recognizes that there needs to be behavior change and not just a reliance on medication. And then fourth, ADHD still remains today an evolving diagnosis, even after all these years. 
Now, while I totally understand why pediatricians see ADHD as their responsibility to treat, as well as why parents may seek help from their child's doctor, but on the other hand, what makes ADHD a medical problem and not one that needs biblical counseling? Is it because whenever a problem is stubborn, then it must be physiological? Or because it may respond to medication, it must be treated by medication all the time? Or do most people really just see themselves as malfunctioning bodies that need to be fixed rather than souls? Hopefully you are listening to this podcast to consider an alternative way to approach your child's ADHD problem. So let's dive into the central biblical and practical principles to handle ADHD. First, recognize other body factors than just a defective brain. A biblical view of the person is that we are body and soul, not just physiological machines. As Christians, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, so we must be good stewards of our physical health. So it should make sense that behavioral issues in our children and youth and even adults are linked to the state of developing bodies. Could the rapid rise of ADHD symptoms in our children be linked to the changes in their health habits over the last 50 years or so? Well, consider diet. How does a regular diet of fast foods, processed meals, unhealthy snacks, sugary drinks impact a child's ability to focus to be not impulsive and hyperactivity problems. No, I'm not saying that sugar alone makes all kids hyperactive Tasmanian devils or that diet alone is the culprit of all ADHD symptoms. But it certainly is worth doing an honest assessment of what a child is eating on a regular basis. It is sad how many children have few true home-cooked meals but eat more in drive throughs on the way to sports, or they live on junk food all the time. Our teenagers can even be worse, heightening ADHD symptoms instead of growing out of them naturally. Then what about physical exercise? Again, it is no secret that each generation of children, especially in America, tends to be more and more sedentary. Running around outside or biking around the neighborhood is not the typical activity of choice today. Depending on where you live in America or in the world, you may or may not have a culture of physical exercise. Again, it should make sense that hyperactivity and impulsivity only increases when the physical body is not active in the right ways. God created our bodies to move and to work and to be active, not just passive all the time. Changing activity levels has to be a good thing for body and soul. A third body area to address with ADD is sleep. You regular listeners of my podcast already know my views on sleep and how our children do not typically get the required amount they need, not even close. What impact do you think a fatigued body of mind has on behavior, especially at school or other regimented organized activities? Why are we so adverse to getting our children to bed early so they can have ample sleep? Too many evening activities? Too many good things to watch on Netflix? Too much family time to enjoy? Or just bad habits that are hard to change? Again, a good night's sleep is not the solution to ADHD. 
but it may certainly alleviate the symptoms. It may also be that a child struggling with ADHD has a hard time going to sleep or has restless sleep. Then it becomes a bad cycle of sleep deprivation followed by bad behavior. So a good practical starting place in solving ADHD is to oversee improved health habits. Second principle, address entertainment and technology factors. Another clear change in our culture that corresponds with increasing ADHD problems is our forms of entertainment media. The easiest place to point the finger is at video games. Boy, how they have changed from simple pinball machines and Pong and Pac-Man. The video game landscape has become dominated by first-person shooter games and such high-paced kinetic activity that must be in some way impacting our children's brains. Add to that the devious design of many games to make them more addicting and more necessary to play longer and longer and longer, seemingly without limits. Am I advocating getting rid of all video games? No. But how are they making certain kids, especially boys, more impulsive, hyperactive, and inattentive? Video games take an amazing amount of focus to be successful. But the same child who can focus well on Fortnite cannot stay focused to read more than a page of a book before getting distracted. And that's the problem with much of the rest of our entertainment media, isn't it? Why can children sit still for a two-hour movie, but not for a 30-minute Sunday school lesson? Certainly, the movie is far more interesting and stimulating, and the teacher is obviously boring. So how exactly does all this screen time that we give our children help them become more attentive and less impulsive? We need to become wiser on what habits of the mind we are developing in our children. Many of them will overcome bad habits and learn to attend, be properly active, and not give in to their base impulses. But those who struggle need real help, such as reducing screen time and requiring more quiet time and other activity time. We just can't complain about our children or youth being so distractible when we surround them with some of the best distractions on the planet. And don't get me started on little children being given phones and handheld devices that they keep their face planted in at home, the SUV, and every other place they tag along with mom or dad. Here's a third principle. Consider the impact of the child's academic education setting. As I mentioned at the outset, many of the early ADHD diagnoses are made by a teacher or a school official. A formal academic setting certainly can make it apparent that a child is having trouble focusing, paying attention, or has a tendency to hyperactivity. After all, school requires you to sit still, listen, study, to work in a timely manner, interact well with peers, etc. All good habits for our children to learn. But it should be acknowledged that most school environments have changed over the years. Some changes for the better but some worse. Of course, not all schools are the same, so this is just a generalization that may or may not apply to your particular situation. But in general, schools have tended to reduce free playtime, recess, and outdoor activities. School days have more sitting and sedentary time because of it. Increased technology means more screen time during the day as well. 
And then generally speaking, bigger class sizes, which make it harder to get teachers' attention. Now, some of these aspects of a formal academic education may make it harder to resist the symptoms of ADHD. The same boy or girl may look totally different in attention and impulsivity at school than at home. Of course, I'm not saying that homeschool is the answer to ADHD or that a child who struggles with ADHD is perfectly normal at home. Home just may give more opportunity for a child with ADHD to do anything he wants to do. One more thing to consider that may get me into trouble. There have been more books and articles written lately addressing a concern that academic institutions at the childhood level have become increasingly anti-boy, especially the anti-active boy. One such fascinating read is the book Why Boys Fail by Richard Whitmere that came out in 2011. Basically, the concern in this book and others is that schools and teachers can be subtly or overtly biased towards girls, and even worse, working to feminize boys, stripping of them their more natural, aggressive, impulsive, and active behaviors. This only makes ADHD symptoms worse, requiring parents then to medicate or just get rid of any children, mainly boys, that cannot fall in line. Just something practical to consider when attempting to assess what is either making symptoms of ADHD worse instead of better. I'm not blaming schools or teachers. What a challenge it is to handle children and their various behavioral struggles today. But we must also acknowledge that the environments our children find themselves in day in and day out shape their behavior as well. Then fourth, what about the parenting factor? Understandably, the last thing a parent wants to hear when it comes to their child with ADHD is that poor parenting has caused the problem or at least has contributed to it. When all the conventional wisdom says that ADHD is a brain problem of some sort, then the parent is simply the inheritor of a child with a disability rather than a contributor to a behavioral issue. Yet as Christians, we must always be reforming and growing in our parenting. None of us are perfect parents victimized by imperfect children. So a child with ADHD should draw our attention to our parenting habits, our training methods, and our discipline process, as is the case when any other childhood problem arises. We've already addressed some of the potential parenting issues. A child's diet, physical exercise, sleep patterns, use of media and technology, etc., Add to that an analysis of how the parent is disciplining the child. Is it inconsistent? Is it non-existent? Are little sins ignored in favor of only dealing with the big issues? Are high levels of impulsivity, irresponsibility, and halfway done work allowed? Do the consequences naturally flow from wrong behavior? Making an honest assessment of ourselves as parents can only help the child or teen struggling with ADHD. Maybe we see our own habits of distractibility and impulsivity being shown as examples to our children. Maybe our own inattention is picked up and followed. Years ago, the psychologist, now Christian psychologist, John Rosemond, posited that most ADHD, in his view, especially in boys, is probably better labeled DADD, Dad Attention Deficit Disorder, 
I'm sure our dads out there, including myself, don't like the sound of that. That sounds awfully harsh. But could he be right? Could the problem of ADHD be a symptom of absentee fatherhood, seeing that it does mainly occur in boys? Personally, I know the challenge of spending time talking and interacting with my boys. It is easier to be a spectator parent of their activities or sports. It is easier to do things without a lot of conversation. Our boys and girls need the attention of their dads. So it is worth checking into the dad attention factor. Do ADHD children end up only getting negative attention from their dads, which may be better than no attention? As God's word says, we need the hearts of our fathers to turn back to their sons and be the spiritual heads of families that God has called them to be. Well, let's work on three more principles that will help deal with ADHD in children and youth. First, the question of sinful behavior. If we only treat ADHD as a physiological problem or some sort of disability, we will ignore the possible spiritual problems involved. Then ADHD can become a cop-out for sinful patterns. In other words, parents often come to think things like, My son can't clean up his room and make his bed because of his ADHD. Or he only does things halfway because of his inability to focus. Or he runs around like he has a motor and climbs all over the furniture because he can't help it. Or she is just an impulsive person by nature. I used the term disability earlier to highlight the fact that this is the struggle for parents who have a child with a true disability. I personally see ADHD as a disorder rather than a disability, but it can feel like every behavior problem is because of ADHD, just like people can feel when their child has autism or some other disability. In other words, we can forget that children with ADHD are sinners too. There are some things they are doing simply because they are disobedient or rebellious or strong-willed children. The challenge, of course, is to tease out that which is a sinful habit versus something they truly can't help. So even if a child is bent towards impulsivity and hyperactivity, it must be acknowledged that there is sin involved too. These children need behavior change, but they also need spiritual change and maturity. Even if a child has trouble paying attention, it is worth dealing with it as a sinful problem first. How much of the problem is the ease of being distracted or how much is it that there's a lack of love or interest in another person to work hard to pay attention? Now, to be clear, just looking at all hyperactive, impulsive and inattentive behavior as only sin will only frustrate you and your child when little change is occurring. We work to see people as sinners and sufferers, people who have sinful behavior and people who struggle with weak bodies and minds as well. When dealing with ADHD, it is a both and. See the body challenges and habits that must be overcome as well as the sin that needs spiritual change. Then the next principle is the need for structure. All children and youth need structure, right? Yes, definitely. But there are children who seem to grow and thrive and behave even without a lot of structure. Not so for the child struggling with ADHD. 
he or she demands structure while at the same time seemingly resists it. They need clear and demonstrable boundaries that must not be crossed, limits that are definite. They need reminder after reminder after reminder. They need visual cues as well as verbal cues in order to focus, pay attention, and get things done in a timely way. For the child with ADHD, it's not good enough to say, go clean your room. You must be more specific. Go put all your clothes in your drawers and close them. Go make your bed. Go get everything out from under your bed. It's not just do your homework. It's do your math worksheet, then bring it to me so I can check it. Also, it helps to give time limits. You have 15 minutes to put all those clothes away. You have 30 minutes to do your math homework. You'll probably have to set a timer for them too or put it into a schedule on paper. Another aspect of ADHD is the struggle with remembering more tasks than just one. So it doesn't work to say to your child, go clean your room, then finish the laundry, then take the trash out. Give one instruction at a time, then follow up. Or leave a checklist that can be worked through. Or your child will start cleaning his room and that will be it for the day. Understandably, this can feel like more work for a parent than the child or teen. In some ways it is. But it's better than just becoming frustrated with your child bent towards ADHD. Overall, children with ADHD will benefit from concrete schedules, codes of conduct, and clear communication of expectations. Even with all that, you will still get halfway work and a lot of I forgots. We must remember that this is a training process. Some of ADHD is simply immaturity that must be grown out of. Our children need to grow up and learn self-control. Again, we get back to the fact that our children who have an attention deficit require the attention of parents. That often requires more of us than we often want to give. More follow-up, more specifics, more reminders. You may ask, will all this structure just make my child or teen dependent on having their hand held rather than simply doing the right thing on their own? Maybe. But the hope is that over time the child will mature and have a reduced need for all that structure. On the other hand, there are plenty of adults that still need that structure in their lives in order to remain undistracted and focused in their jobs and at home. And then last principle, let's get to the heart of this problem. Even though ADHD in children and youth feels only like a difficult behavioral problem that must be managed, it gives us the opportunity to aim for the heart. First, how does the heart deal with inability? When we look at ourselves and see things that we really think we cannot do, when a child can't focus, can't sit still, can't remember to follow through, the heart in these cases can easily despair or, on the other hand, make excuses or resign itself to that's just how I am. But a transformed heart strives to overcome inability with a deeper trust and a deeper hope in what the Lord can do in my life. So as Christian parents, we point our children to Christ and not just behavior change. When they say, I can't help it or I can't do it, we say, I know. I feel that way too about a lot of things. That's why we need Jesus. He's the one who gives us strength to obey, to listen, to work, to do all that he has called us to do. 
Now, that doesn't mean we just say a prayer and ADHD vanishes. It does mean, though, that we teach our children and youth to depend more and more on Christ, whatever they're struggling with. This means being realistic about what is hard and where I need help. Second, ADHD can show forth a stubborn heart. The behavior can be rooted in a desire to do things my way, to break all limits, to act out of order because it's my way. A child who can focus on the things that interest him but not what is disinteresting him demonstrates that selfish stubbornness. When change is hard, it shows us how we need the Spirit to soften that stubborn heart. ADHD symptoms can show a blatant disregard for others, not caring for what they want or need. Last, ADHD can show a heart of laziness with an idol of comfort. It's just too hard to focus. It's too hard to pay attention. It's just too difficult to finish a task 100%. It's easier to settle for less. It's easier to follow my distractions than to shut them out. We all find it hard to do the hard things. An ADHD may make basic things like controlling impulses and attending and having right levels of activity seem impossible at times. That's why we need Jesus. So that's the first of many of the more difficult problems we find in our children, youth, or even ourselves. But as with all the other issues in life, we begin and end with biblical presuppositions, foundational truths of who God is, who we are, and what he requires of us. ADHD is yet another problem that should point us to Christ and the hope of the gospel in our lives. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.